This is an In Your Ears audio production. Welcome to episode four of the Coventry Culture Show podcast. A pleasure as ever to have you join us for this, a very special podcast where it's all about David Goody. If you've not heard the man before, he's a legend. Check him out online, davidgoody.co.uk. We met up with David earlier this year as part of our Featured 12, where we featured 12 artists, musicians, whoever from Coventry. We wanted to focus on them throughout this year. He has had a busy 2019 and we'll bring you an update from him later on. But this is the chat we had earlier on in 2019 from his man cave in Coventry. I didn't realise your process was as it is. We're in your little man cave. Yeah. Um, I'm saying little, it's really not. Full of fantastically different instruments around here. Some electronics, some not. Some that you'd find in your local primary school. Yeah. But um, take us back then. When did it all start for you musically? So I've been playing around with various musical ideas probably about over the course of sort of 10, 15 years and trying out different ideas. But nothing really kind of had that much sort of traction to Mm. it. Nothing kind of really, uh, really worked. Actually, one of the things that was most transformative in terms of where I am with doing stuff now is that there was, uh, I was uh, playing bass in in a covers band and there was something that was happening. I worked as a civil servant and there was a a work to do. And one of the things we realised was that we had all these different people who did musical stuff uh, and actually everyone was kind of saying oh yeah it'd be great to come out and see you sometime uh, but you never quite got everything organised to get out and uh, get out and do that so we decided well in fact why don't we just have one night where all these people who work together all go and do, you know have their bands on and perform their, th- their, their, their things and then everyone can come out and see them all at once we had a great time we did it at the tin and literally drank the bar dry but there's one slight logistical issue that everyone who was doing this was kind of okay doing it a bit nervous but no one wanted to go on first so at that point, it's kind of like, well, I do my kind of my, my weird song kind of thing. So as well as kind of playing bass, I can just kind of go and do like five, ten minutes at the start. So I'm the person that's on first. Uh, and within that, what it brought into sharp focus was the idea of actually doing stuff with an audience in front of you and actually uh, doing something that, that works and resonates with them. So that was where I started out with the with the uh, the weird little ukulele that I've got. Oh, you have that's tiny. I mean, ukuleles aren't huge anyway, but this is. Different. Yes, it's about an inch thick. It's made out of a kind of a single, uh, single piece of maple, basically. And as I say, it looks a little bit like a cricket bat. Uh, uh, but actually, this was uh, was where I then started doing a lot of stuff. And it makes it a lot easier if you're going out and performing somewhere. You're not lugging around heavy mm. equipment. You've got a, a tiny little thing like that. But it, it started me going with the idea of you know capturing the uh, the absurd ideas for for different things. So uh, one of the ideas for a song that I had early on with this was taking the uh, the idea of rappers. To like, but changing it into the Hip Hop Women's Institute, and then making that further absurd by playing that great chic guitar riff, uh, actually on uh, on this tiny little ukulele, so it becomes... and so on and so forth. Uh, and so I started doing that, and then it just kind of started growing from there, about kind of going, actually, this is quite a lot of fun, doing everything with kind of quite a straight, simple rhyming structure. So, you know, you get one line, whatever you've got at the end of that, he's going to uh, li- lead into something else. So, again, think about the hip-hop song. Dizzy Rascal is completely bonkers. Spends each autumn collecting conkers. He needs to chill like Dr. Dre. Who unwinds doing crochet? Uh, and th- yeah, at that point, you've kind of actually got something which I wouldn't quite say writes itself, but you've got the idea of kind of going, right, my Hip Hop Women's Institute, I've got a list of things that WI do, and I've got a list of thing, uh, of different kind of rappers and, uh, and hip hop songs. 
uh, that are going uh, uh, going on. And, you know, I just need to start sort of pairing these up and you end up with, you know, you'll go weak at the knees for the homemade jam of Alicia Keys. You know, it's... It, <laughs> It's that kind of thing, and that has very much become sort of the the idiom and the approach of 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 what I've done with uh, uh, with all of that. And so I started writing all these kind of weird and absurd songs out of out of doing things like that. And then I hit upon the idea of uh, of actually kind of saying, well, actually, I think there's an Ian Jury quote about I didn't know anything about America, but I knew things about kind of you know North London High Street. So you know, I'd write about London. I'd write about the things that were around me. Uh, and one of the first songs I did that that kind of really seemed to sort of touch a nerve and kind of go, uh, 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 you know, get a lot of interest from people was something about the Coventry Ring Road. Uh, and I paired that with actually this incredibly weird 1984 uh, electronic auto harp. So if... An auto harp, if you think about uh, June Carter Cash, you know, yes. it's kind of cl- classic country people, they'd sit there and they'd have this, thi- with this wooden thing with lots of different strings that you'd, you'd strum and, and it sounds absolutely beautiful. And in the, the early 1980s, the Suzuki Corporation decided what we need to do is just make an electronic version of that. And it's weird, this, th- this turns up in a lot of different places. It's, uh, Brian Eno has one, oh. David Bowie has one, Damon Albarn has one, and they do great artistic things with it. Whereas I just kind kind of choose some of the kind of the really cheesy settings that you've got on on different things and uh, and then start working from there and so then it came up with this idea of actually okay let's start talking about something that everyone in Coventry knows and has an opinion on which is the ring road and let's do something on that so you end up with something that starts sounding a bit welcome to the highway code for the Coventry ring road and so on and so forth from uh, from there. And uh, within that, you, you end up with something that just the sheer cheesy bontempiness of what's happening with that is ludicrously catchy. Uh, and then you have something where you're starting to talk about something where it's kind of, yeah, we all talk about kind of the ring road. We all, as I say, have an, an opinion and a view on that. So then hearing that in a song is something where people kind of go, yeah, that, that that's brilliant. That's great. Why, is, why don't other people do that? No, come on. Uh, and actually what that's led to over a period of time is the idea that a lot of times when people are doing songs, what they're looking for is the idea of the lowest common denominator. So what you want to do is something that can speak and appeal to every single person and you don't want to exclude someone from what you're doing with the song. I take things to the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, what I aim for is kind of almost like the more niche the better because if you can just find that small niche of people that's kind of going, you've written a song about that? I could, didn't believe anyone would do that and I think the the probably the high point of that was I once did a song called The Wrong René uh, which was a song about confusing the uh, surrealist painter René Magritte with René Artois out of a lower low. Now, I don't know how many people have a keen appreciation of Belgian surrealism and the works of Lloyd and Croft, uh, but it was kind of like, well, you know, why not? And actually what I found over a period of time with doing things like that is for for most people, it's it's kind of like those kind of the great airplane movies or naked gun movies or things like that. It's kind of like, if you didn't like that joke, don't worry, there's going to be another one coming along very soon. If there's some lines or a bit in one of the songs that make absolutely no sense to you then that's absolutely fine because what we can do what we'll do is we'll be moving on to something uh uh fairly soon afterwards so uh 
that's how it kind of kicked off. And, you know, there's a wonderful scene in Coventry in terms of, of open mics and people who really support emerging artists coming through. I mean, when I started out, in particular, uh, sort of Sam McNulty, who does a lot of stuff at the Godiva Festival, uh, does a lot of stuff in, in Elsdon and other open mics. Uh, Chloe Ju- Juliet was doing a lot of stuff when I started out, Ian Bourne and, and people like that. And they're really good and supportive. And for, from my point of view, what made a huge difference was... I came along uh, doing weird stuff with weird instruments and, and not normal stuff. And, and these people kind of went, brilliant, come back, do more of this. You know, d- d- don't, don't tone it down, kind of go, go further out. This is, this, is, this is fun, experiment with it. And from the point of view of what they were doing with the Knights, there wasn't a sense of them kind of going, oh God, what's everyone going to think with this weird guy coming up and, you know, singing about, uh, singing about batches or doing a version of, of J-Lo's Jenny from the Block, but singing about socks instead of of bling or things like that it was it was a case of going actually this is great because you go on and you're completely different from everything else and then we can go back to another more traditional artist and it actually freshens the the evening up around that so i started doing that started doing stuff with the with the videos and that's where i've, I've then also been lucky with with yourself uh with some stuff with the with the commentary telegraph with with some stuff with with other areas about people kind of picking up on this stuff and really supporting it uh, and probably the most kind of surreal part that I've I've got to in terms of of doing all of this is that uh, I'd been doing the songs for a little while, and there's uh, there's a friend of mine who works as a sound engineer, a very very talented guy, and he turned around to me and went, "You need to do a Christmas song." <laughs> Absolutely loves Christmas, this guy, uh, and and he was incredibly insistent upon this. In fact, he was so insistent that the first year he started doing this, I ended up writing four Christmas songs rather than one. Well, I just have one. Well, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> momentum got up and it kept going. So, so I, I was doing silly songs. I was doing locally themed songs. So I thought I wanted to do a local Christmas song. So you start casting your mind around. And with all this stuff, my brain just basically throws ideas around until something seems to stick. Uh, and so I was thinking, local Christmas song, what can we do? Can we do, uh, I don't know, Finn and Father Christmas? Mm, no, no. Uh, how about Chelsmore Claws? No, no, that doesn't quite work. And it eventually got to Spawn End Santa. Hey! <laughs> uh, and it's kind of like, ah, that, that has a nice ring to it. On and on goes Spawn End Santa. Great. Right, I need to find things that start to rhyme with Santa now. So, uh, I don't know, Decanter... Uh, Fanta, uh, uh, Banta, and I was going through this, and what came into my mind was Horace Panta, uh, or, or also known as uh, Sir Horace Gentleman, you know, legendary bass player with the special. So I ended up writing this song with this chorus line that went, on and on goes Spon and Santa, the funkiest man since Horace Panta. <laughs> At which point, Chris, the guy who was uh, chiving me on to do the Christmas song, went, this is brilliant, you should get in contact with Horace who still lives in Coventry and does a range of things, it's kind of like, well, okay, fine. What's the worst that can, uh, worst that can happen with this? So I managed to find some, uh, some contact details from him. He's an incredibly good pop artist now, which uh, you, you may, or may or may not know. Uh, but uh, got some contact details with him, and I'd got sort of a version of the, the song and the video, and I kind of sent it through to him, and it turned out he was on tour in Europe with specials at that point. Uh, but had a chance to watch it, and he came back to me, and uh, and he said, "It's appalling. I love it. What can I do to help you?" So he then got back from the tour. Uh, he then actually had an art opening down in uh, down in Leamington that he had to do. And then I kind of went over to his house, and we recorded a whole bunch of stuff. So the actually at the end of the song, you've you've got Horace Punter saying, "Spawn Santa, 
Never heard of him. And there's the idea of kind of going, this was an incredibly stupid idea, and uh, it was played using, you know, sort of the, uh, you know, a bunch of really strange... In fact, played on a three-stringed guitar that I built myself, which is now adorned with various country pin club it badges. It is, yes, with Aaron's pin badges from Etching Pin. Yeah. So, you know, it's a guitar I built myself. It's a stupid idea of a song. And I'm standing here with, you know, the sort of the, the legendary uh, sort of bass player of the specials, who's taking time out of his ludicrously busy schedule uh, to actually help me with this. And he was really supportive in terms of tweeting about it. And what I also have kind of going back to where we're talking about here, which is my kind of room stuff with musical instruments is, is on the wall what I do have is actually one of the Horace Panther cassette paintings that he's done which says Sponen Santa on it that's fantastic and it is brilliant mm. and for me actually this is this is really quite an important thing to have here because there's there's many times when I'm uh, when as I say well, I'm, I'm working on a song and you do just kind of step back and kind of think what am I actually doing? Surely this time round, I'm going to put something something out, and everyone's going to go, "Oh, really, really, <laughs> really, David?" It's, it's, but you know, you've just gone too far. This time, well, why, why doing? And and that that's what I look at whenever I have, kind of have that moment of you know, this is too silly, this is too obscure, this is too much nonsense. So kind of going, that's what I thought part way through doing that song, and you know, this is this and is that's what happened with it. Yeah. So uh, so that's that's where it's kind of gone, and over a period of time, and and as I say, over a number of years I've just acquired more and more different instruments and it, it really is the case that uh, when I'm when I'm doing a song start out by as I say with sort of something like Spawn and Santa kind of thinking look what's what's the idea okay local Christmas song what's kind of a hook on that uh, and the chorus is often the hardest bit to to get so for the Ring Road song it becomes round and round and round we go where we stop nobody knows it is a road without end and it's driving me right round the bend Welcome to the highway code For the Coventry Ring Road A modern marvel for commuters Designed on Coventry's first computer Something that has a little bit of a hook and a run to that And then I can start moving into the verses And kind of think, right, what are interesting things That we can work through on this So for example with the Coventry Cathedral song You've got one verse which is all about Kind of comparing with other cathedral cities Whether that's Sheffield, Ely or things like that Or Durham And kind of saying, yeah, they're okay But actually, you know, they're a bit lacking Because they've only got one cathedral and we've got two The folk of Sheffield are quite well healed in the streets of Durham you may succumb to the mix of the divine and the humdrum there's a sense of glee when you reach Ely because there's so little else in the fence to and see and then moving into a second verse of thinking right well okay we've done the comparisons with other cities now I want to do something where we're actually kind of talking about the cathedral itself, the fact that it has the largest tapestry in the world within there. So again then, with, with kind of starting to structure the song itself, what can I get as a hook on a chorus? And where can I make each verse kind of something that's slightly different, that's got a progression around different elements of the subject matter? Once I've got that, then it's a case of, right, I need an instrument to work with. And what I've ended up doing is kind of doing kind of one instrument per album. So I did an album's worth of ukulele songs. And having done that, I kind of felt I'd explored all the main obvious bits I could do with a, with a ukulele. So I then kind of went and built myself this three-string guitar. And then the way you play a three-string guitar is completely different to how you play a, uh, a ukulele. So the, uh, the ukulele's got this very kind of jaunty sound to it. Uh, whereas the three-string guitar kind of lends itself to being, to a certain extent, a bit more bluesy. 
in terms of, of how the sound is there. So immediately the, the way I'm writing a song shifts slightly, but mm. because it's so much centred on the lyric, my songs always set, end up sending, sounding like my songs regardless of the instrument. So did an album worth of, of, uh, of songs on the three-string guitar, did an album worth of songs on, uh, on, uh, on, the, on the banjo. And what I've recently started doing, and, and I'm working on at the moment, is something using something known as an Appalachian dulcimer. That's a fabulous name. Appalachian as in North American mm-hmm. uh, uh, area of the mountains. Again, an instrument used a lot in, in country music. And the weird thing is, we're used to acoustic guitars. You have six strings, and they're all tuned to, to different notes, basically. This has four strings, and three of them are tuned to exactly the same note. So I've got a D, I've got a D, and I've got a D again. Oh. And then the other string is an A. So when you play them all together, you get this lovely choral sound. And it sounds a bit kind of courtly, a bit middle ages, a bit kind of renaissance music. So again, I kind of pick this up and it's kind of like, right, I'm going to start writing stuff in a, a kind of a different way around that. This then becomes the basis to, to what I write as the song. It'll be the voice and it'll be typically a, a stringed instrument like this or the, the weird omnichord that I played a, a bit of earlier, the weird electronic instrument. And that's the core of it. And when I go and play live, like I've had the opportunity to do at the at the Godiva Festival and, and other places, uh, that is, is what you get. You get the voice and, uh, and that instrument around that. With the stuff that's online, the stuff that you'll be playing on the radio, that's done with a more kind of traditional arrangement added onto that. So I add a bit of uh, of bass guitar, I add a bit of keyboards and things like that. But when it comes to kind of the bits where I'm not singing and I'm doing a solo, what I generally do is I don't kind of go, right, here's my chance to be Eddie Van Halen. Let's kind of go and do a big face-melting guitar solo. It will be like the uh, kind of the primary school bells that you were you were playing earlier. Uh, it might be, in fact, a, a, a wonderful little toy piano that I've got. Oh, wow. Might be, again, another kind of kid's instrument, a, a kind of mel- a melodica, a weird thing that you kind of uh, sort of blow through and has a keyboard on, which kind of sounds oh, like... the melodica was the boys in the Upsiders use one. Uh, yes, they do indeed. Uh, also used quite a lot actually in uh, in some bits of reggae music. You put lots and lots of echo on that, and you get kind of a really great oh, wow. dubby uh, dubby sound on it. I, again, I think Damon Albarn's got one of those and uses it a lot on on different things. If it's good enough for Damon, it's good enough for us. Well, absolutely. Uh, so so with all of this stuff, it's a case of going right. What can I grab that's a bit interesting, a bit different, and kind of gives mm. gives sound. And often there is something that is a bit more of a sort of a childlike element there, uh, and that then goes and sort of kind of builds up the uh, the song itself what we then get to towards the end of that so I go and I record all this stuff I just do it on a computer at home I don't use any particular advanced software I've, I've gotten uh, basically it's, it's an Apple computer and I use just like the default Garage band stuff that's on there. I mean, in fact, most uh, most sort of smartphones have got an equivalent to to that now. So it's not like kind of you know spending huge amounts of money on on professional stuff around that. But I get to the end of uh, of what I'm producing with uh, with all of that, and I get something that I think sounds relatively nice. So this is the Hip Hop Women's Institute song as I'd got to it. No, 
know, as far as I'm concerned, that's working quite nicely. I've, I've liberally stolen from uh, uh, from uh, from Sheik there in terms of doing this idea of kind of rappers' delight meets the Women's Institute in terms of what's going on. But what I then do is send all the stuff that I've recorded uh, recorded through to uh, uh, this guy who helps me out, a guy called uh, uh, Chris Field. Then he takes all this stuff and remixes it all, and often takes a load of stuff I've done and says, "No, you don't need that. I'll mute that. I'll, I'll I'll get rid of that. I don't know what you were doing with that bit." But he's got the ear in terms of being able to work out how you EQ things, how you mix things, how you compress things. And then what comes back to me is something that somehow sounds twice as good, ten times as good as what it was before. So in terms of what we have now... And so with that, it's kind of like the the, ba- the, the the snare drum is crisper, the bass is kind of fuller and punchier around there. And he understands all the dynamics about how you take an individual instrument and make it sound as good as possible. And I think in terms of doing actual kind of sort of uh, sort of songwriting and things like that, I'm, I'm one of those people in the modern age who I think is very guilty about the fact that because you can do a lot of stuff yourself, you do. So, you know, there's, the, there's the, the concern I think a lot of people have with music these days is that, you know, if, if kind of Lennon and McCartney came along today, they wouldn't end up collaborating because they wouldn't need each other. They could just kind of go off and do it all themselves. And why would they kind of have to come together and, and, and form a band? And you wouldn't have that incredible cross-pollination of talents that really kind of, uh, you know, gave the genius of the Beatles or something like that. So it's one of the things that I think I have discovered with the stuff I'm doing is actually trying to make sure that there is someone else in the process at some point along the way who is able to kind of say, no, actually that bit shouldn't be there, this bit should be changed like this, this bit can be can be improved. Having someone else to bounce ideas off and someone else to, to kind of make you kill your darlings mm. in some way. I was going to say, that's quite a difficult thing for some musicians, writers to do, to hand it over. Uh, it is because I mean, uh, for me, in some ways, it's it's a little easier because there's. Uh, I, I, in some ways, I find it's uh, I get a little bit of an easy job with the uh, uh, with some of the music stuff I'm doing because if you're doing stuff which is let's face it, kind of great art, you're doing something which is kind of emotional, you're doing something metaphorical, you're doing something beautiful around there. You end up having a really really deep investment with that, but it's absolutely impossible to say is this working or not. I mean, it's a very subjective thing, and if you've lived with a song for a long period of time it'll have a huge resonance with you that other people you know won't necessarily understand when they when they hear it uh, whereas mine is more it's, is it a nonsense idea is it vaguely catchy if I've ticked both of those boxes my work here is pretty much done uh, but again there is a sense around that of, of just having a sense of you know does a line work or not mm-hmm. and actually in, again in terms of a lot of this stuff in terms of does you know the sound of what happens with it really kind of sort of leap off the page and uh, and pop with what we're doing so, so just take me just before before we mm. move before we carry on hip hop women's institute from start to mm. getting it back what time period are you talking uh, so in terms of the whole process of, of doing something like this, there's there's a long kind of gestation period of actually kind of working on the lyric for something, which is I'll, I'll often have a number of different ideas kind of on the go, that's half, you know, half-formed ideas, and then eventually get to a point where you try and kind of beat it into shape. And once I've actually got the, the lyric done, the, the recording of the music is usually relatively uh, relatively quick. It's the kind of thing that I can, depending on, on what else I've got on at the time, it can be done in kind of a sort of a week 
week or so okay. or, or something uh, something like that. Uh, in terms of actually the uh, the mixing it with uh, with the stuff that, that Chris does, uh, it, a lot of it depends on his availability, but it's actually very fast because he spends a lot of his time mixing live music. So he does a lot of work at the Glee Club, a lot of work at, at, at other things. So what he's doing most of the time is literally the artist is on stage and playing and you've got to get it sounding good, you know, literally within seconds because you can't have three songs that sound terrible while you're still trying to trying to get things right. Obviously, there's sound checks and things like that. So for him, it's very much a case of he just kind of gets the file that I've sent, literally kind of rips out anything I've done in terms of, you know, sort of EQs or, or echoes or things like that. And because he's listened to a lot of my stuff, he can kind of go, right, this is probably what we're doing on the drums. This is what we're doing on... On uh, on different elements. This is I know how how we make the ukulele sound. What we need, but also it allows them to experiment a lot more with with different stuff that we're that we're doing. That it can kind of play in different ways with uh, with different things. So if I'm writing a song that's about something from the 1980s, I'm like, right. I'm going to produce this as if it was kind of like a a 1980s Depeche Mode song nice. or something like that. Uh, so so he then experiments with a whole bunch of different styles, and it's just that knowledge that he's built up over a period of time and going. I know what this needs. Whereas if I was trying to mix it, I'd almost be randomly pressing buttons and sliding faders and tweaking things and kind of going, I'm not sure if I'm making this better or, or worse right now. We were mentioning a little bit off air about in recording studios where you've got those desks which are kind of like uh, 10 metres long or something like that. And you could, you could just get lost like you're in a maze or something <laughs> like that. So having someone who really understands the dynamics of sound makes a huge difference. And, and it's one... One of the things I've learned and would say to anyone else who's doing sort of recording their own stuff is understand that that is a skill that takes years and years to develop and finding people and there are a lot of people locally who who do have those skills finding them and getting them to have a role in terms of of what you're doing with uh, with developing your your sound will make all the difference in terms of the end result, and I actually remember one one story. You know the Lars. Uh, yes, there she goes. Yep, there she goes. Uh, and the uh, with the main guy behind those, he'd he'd recorded all the stuff, and he'd recorded it basically as demos on a little four track cassette player. Uh, and then he'd kind of gone into the studio, and they they'd recorded all of the stuff, and he just he was really unhappy with it, and he was kind of saying, "I prefer my my squonky little demos over here. I think they're they're better." And it was actually. I think the A and R guy around there at the moment was uh, was was Chaz Smash, the guy out of Madness. Uh-huh. Hey, you don't watch that. Watch this. And he was the guy who actually sat down with him and kind of went, "Look, if what you want to do is your little four track demos." go and sell those on a market store somewhere because that's where the audience is for something like that. If you want something that is going to work for other people who haven't been there for days and days or weeks or months working on this, if you want something that's going to cut through, that's going to make that impact in terms of what you're doing musically, you need something that has that professional mixing, that sort of professional EQing Mm. kind of behind it. Once you've got that, so we've got the song, uh, as I say, sometimes I do a video to go with it, which involves kind of... So we all know that online they all track everything you search for and things like that. Uh, my stuff must be all over the place. So <laughs> if you think, again, going back to Hip Hop Women's Institute, I, I did a video for that. So I was going through Google. So I was going, right, I want to find uh, uh, some, some Dizzy Rascal footage. I want to find some video some footage of Conkers. I want to find some Dr. Dre footage. I want to find some footage of people crocheting. I want to find some Cypress Hill footage footage. I want to find some people who are doing stuff with like a herbaceous border in a garden. And they must be going, how do we 
predict what this guy is looking for. He's all over the map. He really is. So there's lots of time sort of searching through for that and editing out little bits because generally what I end up doing is either using images or videos and the clips I'm taking are about five seconds long, Mm -hmm. ten seconds long tops or something like that. I try and work within like a fair usage idea that I'm using so little of the content and it's almost blink and you'll miss it that it's uh, that it's gone. So there's lots of individual bits that need to be put together around that, which involves you know a lot of internet searching. But once that's done, video just gets uploaded straight onto YouTube. Uh, and actually, one of the things that's great now with where we are in terms of digital music, for all the potential downsides about you know having everything available yet not really being able to listen to anything properly, mm-hmm. in the, in the same way that you know if you went and bought your album from Woolworths and that was the one album you had this month, you'd play it to death and you'd know every single facet of it. Whereas with streaming services and things like that, it's kind of like you listen to a song, oh great, I'll listen to another song over here or listen to another song and you don't necessarily come back to anything the, the advantage of that long tail of having everything available is it gives a platform for artists like myself and others to to get onto and there are various services whether it's DistroKid, CD Baby, a, a range of different ones where actually you don't have to get signed by a record label, you can get your stuff available on Spotify Apple Music, Google Play, Amazon and all these different places just by you know basically kind of uh, filling on all the, all the various forms and signing up with those services and again for what I do that's that's really useful so it can be the case of kind of going yeah there was that weird Ring Road song there was that weird Batch song I can just go and listen to it on Spotify I'm, I'm not kind of thinking do I actually really want to shell out to buy the whole album by uh, by this lanky weirdo there <laughs> So and, and and again that for me is is one of the things that gives me this this really kind of great sense of uh uh of uh of accomplishment with all this is that you start off with an odd idea that you're just batting around in the back of your head whether you're travelling on a bus or doing something like that and then at the end of this you have something that exists out there in the real world and uh and people can see and again speaking of kind of the surreal things that happen with this there was uh, one year I was at the uh, at the Glastonbury Festival as a as a paying punter. I was walking through the greenfields and hundreds of thousands of people there. And someone was walking the other way, someone I, I didn't know, and they stopped me and they just went, you're the bloke that sings about Covering Road, aren't you? Yes, I am. And they kind of went, so you're playing anywhere then? And, and the answer actually was yes, because there was uh, there was one of the stages, there's a lot of stages in the greenfields that, uh, at Glastonbury that have stages and, and things like that. And they, they, they do book acts, they, they you know, and uh, and that they have other things going on, and I sort of chatted with some folks there, and there's there's a stage I ended up playing sort of three or four years four years running, so I could kind of say, yep, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm playing on that stage down there tomorrow at three o'clock. How fantastic is that? And again, it comes back to again this this sort of niche idea of doing stuff. So again, thinking about the Glastonbury stuff, this is people from not only all over the country but all over from all over the world, and within there, I've done songs like Straight Out of Earlston, so you know, straight out of Compton. Trans- Transplanted to you know the the the, uh, the 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 beating middle class heart of, uh, of of Coventry, and there's an idea of why would this appeal to any of these people? It's got re- references to a load of different Earlston stuff and to to Godiva and things like that. Surely everyone's just going to sit there and kind of go, this makes no sense. But actually, 
it clicks with people because mm. in, in different most cities have their own variant of something like like Earlston, and so it just chimes with what happens there. And again, it comes back to this idea I have is it's almost you can never be too niche. It doesn't matter if you're doing something that's uh, that's esoteric and. One of the things I often think that's resonated with me, the band Travis. I'm not a massive yes. fan of Travis, but you know they seem like great guys. They've clearly done a load of really good songs. Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? I think that is a brilliant lyric. It's kind of like, what was the lie you told at 17 that was, that, that was so resonant that it now rains on you all the time? And it's never really explained in the song. And you can kind of go, that's, that's a massively spurious bit of detail there. I lied when I was 17. But actually, it's those, those really little specific bits that you put in mm-hmm. that I think actually kind of, kind of make things stick with people. Uh, and so, so that's kind of driven a, a lot of what I've done, is kind of coming up with a, with a, with a somewhat silly idea. And often... With, with a lot of the local stuff, putting stuff in that you know may well make very little sense to most people, but you just get that sense of it's not just a bland metaphor to do a rhyme. You found something quite particular, quite precise to uh, to to lead and to to land that on, and you know, and that that does drive a, a lot of what I do. What's the rest of the year going to look like? The dulcimer is my new instrument of choice. So, uh, so I'm working up a, a range of instruments broadly, wo- uh, a range of songs broadly around that. Uh, I've got, an, in terms of stuff that's in the works at the moment, and may or may not see the, the light of day at various points, I've got, uh, got a song about the Sweeney. Nice. I've got a song about basically making uh, making gin in a very kind of cheap kind of you know antifreeze and, and white spirit kind of way, but lob some juniper in it and you can sell it as a great craft product. Uh, I'm wondering whether there is something about a song about Lady Godiva to the tune of Lady Madonna to the Beatles. Uh, so I'm halfway through uh, halfway through uh, through something on that. So though they've got a lot of ideas cooking around that. Uh, there was also an album I put out towards the uh, towards the end. Of last year called Banjaxed, uh, which I still have a few songs on that that I haven't finished doing videos on. So we will be having a video coming out very soon for uh, uh, we've got one more cathedral than you, Excellent. Uh, which uh, in some ways I, uh, I I kind of think should uh, I'm I'm trying to have as the unofficial anthem of the the Coventry city of uh, of culture bid and uh, and so it's going to be a lot more content dribbling through around that. Uh, whether the the Dulcimer album gets completed and comes out this year, I don't don't know whether that's going to be early 2020 uh but yeah the uh the banjax album came out uh second half of 20 2018 and i did a did a whole christmas album in december uh 2018 uh so there's a whole bunch of, of stuff with that and so so yeah it's, it's going to be kind of uh you know more experimenting with different musical instruments kind of more more strange ideas for doing things and you know stuff kind of keeps kind of popping up on the youtube channel and, and pops up on different places and then uh once i get up to 14 songs and for whatever reason I feel my albums should have 14 songs. I like that though. That's a very specific number. Yeah, as I said before, specific is yeah. important. It's also because my songs are generally quite short. They often come in at about kind of two minutes, two minutes 20. So if I just did 10 songs on an album, it'd only be 20 minutes long and people would be kind of, it's, it's basically a glorified EP you've done there. <laughs> uh, so 14 makes sure it gets comfortably over the 30 minute mark in terms of in terms of where we are. So uh, so at the moment, it's it's however long it takes me to, to work up to to uh, to uh, uh, to another fourteen songs around that. Can we expect to see a full hour, ninety minutes set, uh, show from you? 
It's one of the things I would always actually like to do at some point. Is I'd actually love to see that. Is do is do a full band bit. I've, I've occasionally done stuff with uh, with people doing some bass. In fact, at one point there was uh, I did something when, and unfortunately the the, the guy Bob Schiller who was doing this has, has moved away from Coventry now. But I'm a very tall guy. I'm six foot five, and uh, with the, the stuff I was doing at that point, I was playing this tiny little ukulele. Uh, Bob is about kind of five foot four, something like that, and had this absolutely massive acoustic bass. <laughs> so in terms of this kind of little and large combo, uh, that kind of uh, 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 that kind of worked absolutely brilliantly around that. But yeah, it's something that I would kind of quite like to know. In the back of my mind, what's always taken me is there's, again, speaking about kind of esoteric bands, there's uh, a trio called the Tiger Lilies, uh, who are most famous for at one point they they soundtracked a version of uh, the shock-headed Peter uh, stories. There's these German fairy tales. Oh, okay. They're like a kind of cautionary tales. So the the little boy but plays with matches and things in oh. badly, or the the boy sucks his thumb and again things. They're very dark in the, mm. in the way that some old fairy stories are. But there was a version of that that was done with puppets and they did all the songs on stage with it and performed for quite a while at uh, Warwick Arts Centre, which is where I first saw it. But as a trio, they're brilliant. So they've got a double bass player, they've got a, a drummer who pretty much plays this weird combination of pots and pans and things like that. Very much kind of like Bonzo Dog Doodah, uh-huh. weird percussion. And a, uh, and a lead singer who either plays accordion, ukulele or, or piano. And it has this great sort of Weimar cabaret feel to it. So if I was ever kind of, you know, building things up into, uh, into kind of a massive sort of full band show like with that, what I'd want to avoid is right the acoustic guitar goes here the the bass goes here the regular drums i'd want to do something that's a bit like that or a bit like mm. the bonzos uh but i mean last year i was lucky enough at, at godiva to uh to uh, it was i think the the overall set i played was was a was about an hour an hour and 10 minutes with a mid-set falconry display <laughs> Uh, which was actually nothing to do what I was doing. They had some falconry people there, but you know, it's kind of felt I'd gone full prog then. I wanted to come out in a, a Rick Wakeman kind of cape and and hat around that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's something I would like to do, and it, and it goes back to to what I was saying before about actually collaboration brings in a lot of interesting things around that. And I think if I took what I'd done with my songs and my ideas, and uh, and did blend that with with saying to someone, look, come up with some interesting percussion ideas to go with this, to come and to have. Someone to come up with some kind of you know interesting baseline to do something mm-hmm. around that and and go where you want to with those. Whereas my focus is often towards the core of the song. Uh, I think it would be would be quite fascinating. So you know hopefully that is something that that one day will come to fruition. DavidGoody.co.uk. Go and have a look. Check out the videos. Check out the songs, and there'll be more from you throughout 2019. Absolutely, the man's brilliant. If you've not checked him out yet, as I've said, DavidGoody.co.uk is the place you need to go online. Now, David, as I record this, is not in the country, but he has sent us an update from Foreign Climbs on his holiday about 2019 and how it's gone so far. Hi, Neil. It's David Goody here, one of your featured 12 for 2019. First up, can I say how much I'm really enjoying the Covcast at the moment? I think it's absolutely brilliant and long may it last. Last time we spoke was back in June when I was in the middle of doing nine sets at this year's Glastonbury Festival, which was an absolute blast. It also highly amused me afterwards to see uh, my photo appearing in Rockshot magazine. It didn't mention me by name, but just mentioned a strange man with a ukulele singing songs about psychopathic Teletubbies, which 
frankly can't be anyone else rather than me. But I've been quite busy since then in June. I've been playing a number of live gigs with the wonderful Steve Clark from uh, the local band Twin Towns on bass. Now actually at the start of the year when we were first chatting with the Featured 12 stuff, you started asking about whether I would start doing collaborations, have more of a live band or something like that. So I think I'm doing good and fulfilling on uh, on what you've asked me to do through this year. So we've been playing some, some great gigs there. Sounds really, really good with having him play bass around there. And it's also actually quite amusing. He seems to know my songs better than I do already. So actually points out when I get things wrong. And one of the main things that that led up to, as well as doing stuff at Motorfest, uh, Godiva, a lovely little gig at the uh, the Nursery Tavern, uh, was we did a, co- a gig in the Coventry Music Museum, performing a gig inside the car from the special's ghost town video now getting two people and instruments and all the other kit you need in there was quite a squeeze and quite an experience uh, but it was an absolutely wonderful gig and there's some great video of it available uh, available online and it really really felt like pun not really intended a truly special experience to do that I think the Coventry Music Museum is such a magical place and the 40 years of two-tone exhibition that they've got on at the moment has such a treasure trove of things whether it's the recreation of two-tone HQ from Jerry Dammers' flat in uh, house in 51 Albany Road uh, whether it's Roddy Radiation's guitar amps whether it's Linville's guitars or things like that it's just such a wonderful array of things they've been able to pull together so to be able to perform Form in that environment and actually to be able to perform a song about the specials ghost town car in the car itself was was magical and we even got some uh, uh, some props from uh, from Horace Panther as well on on Twitter retweeting the uh, the song itself and uh, he seemed to enjoy it so I think there's even some official blessing there as well but that even that's not quite enough I've just released my new album in fact this is my fifth album in about four years or so I've been a busy bunny one way or another the album is called It's Meant to Sound Like This and has principally been recorded using a new strange musical instrument I've got called an Appalachian Dulcimer. Now this album tackles all the major pressing concerns of 2019. So it covers James Blunt's Twitter account, it covers how to turn antifreeze into gin and how Marie Kondo's approach to cleaning might turn you into Gollum for Lord of the Rings. In short, it's all the usual nonsense that people have come to expect from me. It also contains another couple of uh, locally themed track so I've done a song about Lady Godiva uh, approximately to the tune of the Beatles Lady Madonna and as I mentioned earlier the song about the specials Ghost Town Car uh, is is on there as well and if you want to be really nerdy you can listen very closely to that and see if you can hear the references to the two B-sides to the specials Ghost Town single as well. The album's now available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play etc and there are loads of videos both live videos and sort of cut and paste montage videos that I've put together that are available via YouTube. If you just go and search for David Goody, you'll be able to find that. Or you can head along to my website at davidgoody.co.uk and find links to everything there. So that's out now, but I'm not yet done for 2019. Oh no, I'm now plunging headlong into getting a new Christmas album done. And this will be a themed Christmas album with every single track all about Die Hard, which, let's face it, is one of the finest of the Christmas films. So get your jumper on and uh, and then get yourself ready for Die Hard, the Christmas album, coming soon. Uh, but for now, please just enjoy my latest album. It's meant to sound like this. We're the Sweeney and you're nicked. We're the Sweeney 
And you're nicked with a Sweeney. And you're nicked. We're the Sweeney and Your Nicked is a track from David's latest album. Check him out online. DavidGoody.co.uk is the place you need to go for all the videos and tracks that you will need from David Goody. Or check out Coventry Culture Show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. All the links and stuff you need will be on there as well. Thank you to David. Thank you for you for joining us. And we'll be back with episode five of the podcast very soon. Goodbye. That was an In Your Ears audio production 2019.